my experience is that the law of masculine feminine or negative and positive energy is going to always balance itself. It's just, it's the law of how it works. So if I am in super powerful masculine space, it has a desire to want to out-masculine everybody else. And therefore everything else in the room has to try to balance that. So it's going to go deeper into the feminine. Now, if, if there's someone in the room who has a really strong masculine and, and usually a, a male identified body will out masculine, my masculine being a female identified body, but I have a really strong masculine essence. So they got to be real good. (laughs) My masculine can really, you know, out bully somebody else's. And so, and so if I'm aware of my well-developed masculine, which I love and prize and honor and really respect inside of myself, then I can make a conscious choice to go, Oh wait, I remember it feels really good to be my feminine. Let me just drop in. suppose, um, you know, just to let people know know, my specialty, I've been in the um, intimacy space for the last 20 plus years, working as an advanced Tantra educator, teaching uh, workshops, everything from weekends to retreats to teacher trainings. And then I've had a private practice called More Love Works, where I've been working one-on-one with people and helping them through their journey of sexual awakening. And oftentimes a place that we begin is wherever what, whatever isn't love in the body oftentimes has a way of surfacing, of coming up to the present moment, because a part of the practice is about bringing so much love to the table. And when you've got so much love coming into someone's nervous system, it allows for whatever isn't love to, to come up because it wants to be released because frankly, the body really craves and wants to experience love in this lifetime. And so the whole objective is to create spray space and freedom and liberation in the body so that we can then fill that up uh, with love and pleasure and awakening. And, um, as a result, deeper intimacy gets to grow and, um, you know, we feel inspired to live a more healthy, pleasure forward life. So that's what I do. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I love to do. Yeah. You're really good at it. And she has a podcast with Dr. Willow Brown. Um, 
and yeah. called the Sex Reimagined Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a ton of questions, um, but I would love if you would um, tell us your story of how you um, started your own journey into this work. Oh boy. Such a, that, that can be a, sh- that's pretty much a really long story. I'll try <laughs> to shorten it. Um, you know, I grew oh, yeah. up, <laughs> I grew up in a kind of a com- confusing, um, initially confusing religious household. We first 10 years of my life, we were Pentecostal Christians and it was like the big hallelujah. You know, it was very much actually an embodied um a place of spirituality. When I think of it from my little girl's mind versus like my adult mind, my little girl's mind absolutely loved it. It was a place of like tons of community and we were a bunch of kids running around the neighborhood and it was super fun. And there was a sense of uh, connectedness and safety and um, really a lot of just joyful expression. However, there was an undercurrent of conditioning, you know, especially when it came to boy rules and girl rules. And then um, after the age of 10, my parents left the church, as did, there was like huge exodus. There were a lot of people leaving the church at the same time because I think there was some corruption that was uh, coming to light. So then we got baptized into Catholicism because my mom, I think, really wanted to be back in her father's good graces. And he bribed her (laughs) by saying, I'll pay for their Catholic education if you get them baptized into Catholicism. So then I got baptized and started going to Catholic school. And that was a much more formal, much more traditional um, container. And But the rules were still pretty much the same. There was very much a, payar- a patriarchal thread throughout the whole process and, um, and a feeling when it came to sexuality that it was bad, dangerous, dirty. And, uh, and especially when it came to girls, it was like this virginity, like virtue and don't disappoint the family, don't ruin the family, don't ruin your life. A sex isn't that great anyways. Um, and it's, it's the boys who want it. And so it was very weird because I was horny. I mean, I was like a teenager and I couldn't help. Actually, I was a little girl and I couldn't help the impulses. There was a thread of sexual energy that, you know, I grew up with people thinking that that only got turned on when you became a teenager, but it was turned on when I was a little girl too. And so I felt like there was just so much misinformation and so much fear I mean, my mom, my poor mom, she had four daughters and it was like her goal was like, just get them through high school without getting pregnant. That was her goal in life. And although noble, understandable, (laughs) um, there was a lot of just untruth surrounding that because my body was alive and my body wanted to be self-expressed. And I felt like there was a sense of denial instead of a sense of like real permission and education. And I don't blame anyone for that. We we are products of our conditioning and my parents certainly were, and they did a beautiful job. I'm fabulous. I mean, look at me now. They did so good. Um, but I had to heal a lot as a result of that. And there was also sexual abuse in my history. So that confounded everything. And uh, when I, by the time I was a hippie in high school and at the ripe age of 18, um, graduating and everything, I had met this really lovely older man. He was a bongo drummer. So you can tell the trouble I was about to get in. <laughs> and, um, and and I was like madly in love, like the first time really falling in love and just felt so grateful and so lucky to go, wow, this is love. And, but we did break up. And when we did, I was fortunate enough 
that he left all of his artwork and all of his books. And there was a book in his little library called Tantra, the Art of Conscious Loving by Charles and Caroline Muir. And when I read that book, I was just, I couldn't believe that the things that we had been exploring were things he learned in a book. And two things happened for me. One was like real disappointment. Like, oh my God, why didn't you share this book? Like what I, how I could have come to the, come to the experience with more knowledge. Oh my God, just imagine, you know, that was like my first thought. And then another thought was, wow, you can learn this from a book. And it made me realize, oh, I, this is what I've been looking for. I had this feeling inside of myself that there, God, there must be something more to sex. And this book started to answer that because what was missing for me all this time was where was God? Like, where was the sense of spirit as an invitation to go deeper in sex? And it wasn't until I discovered Tantra and, and really started to become aware that if, and I'm just going to use the word God because it's convenient and, and everyone knows, but like replace God with whatever it matches your belief system. But it's like God created sex and it's been men and women who've been fucking it up. And, and so we've gotten it wrong, basically, in, in the spiritual culture of things, we've just gotten it really wrong. Either that or we've just misunderstood it. Maybe wrong isn't the right word. Maybe it's just like we've misunderstood that pleasure is this gift given to us by the creator to actually renew the weary soul, not to make us feel shame, not to make us feel guilt, not to make us feel bad about ourselves or to give us a reason to believe in shame and unworthiness. But instead, it's actually a path to self-realization and it can be a path to um like I said before, renew the weary soul because life is freaking hard, man. Like shitty shit happens to all of us. Every single one of us is going to face an obstacle that feels insurmountable. And thank God we've got this thing called pleasure that we can come home to, that we can offer as a gift to someone else and that someone else can offer as a gift to us so that we can remember that life is filled with grace. And even in our darkest moments, there's a place that we can come home to and, and to have relief from, to get respite from. And um, yeah, so I just think that should be about, that, that should be a part of the conversation when we talk about sexuality and, and it rarely is. Yeah, I just want to re, like stop right here so we can digest that a little bit because those, that perspective is so powerful mm-hmm. and so healing and so just like there's like a deep knowing in my body that it just light lights up that that we are here to enjoy it it is something to help us to help move things out of our body to like enjoy and that pleasure is good and yeah thank you for that yeah i think for me what it, it what it opened up for me was that there was another place to explore in sexuality than what seemed like was possible, right? Because a lot of times it's just this bi- biological urge, right? We just want to get our bodies together. Um, and then we might experience something lovely like an orgasm and then whatever the aftermath is other than that. But I always felt like we are missing something deeper here to explore, like soul to soul, you know, like how much further can we go in pleasure? What else 
what else can be experienced? And I think for a lot of us who, especially our generation, right, who are the granddaughters of our grandmothers and their generation, you know, was one of the last generations to say, I deserve an orgasm. I deserve pleasure. I want pleasure. It was still very much sex was for my husband and sex was my duty. And I think we are, you know, that my mother was the first generation. I think we're the next generation where it's like actually pleasure is for women too. <laughs> and it's a priority and it's important. And it's something we all need to cultivate. Um, and so it's amazing really when, how, how short this time has been where we're really starting to evolve into, there's gotta be something more to sex. And I'm really interested in answering that question. Yeah. You know, something's coming to mind hearing you speak about orgasm and there's a man, Chris Bale, who speaks about semen retention. Are you familiar Mm -hmm. with that? Only totally. I'm curious what your perspective is on this because I've, you know, like my partner and I have explored this a little bit and it's like, there's a huge part of me that's like, wow, you know, I I know it's different for men and women, like women reach orgasm differently than men and men can per this, you know, theory have orgasms without, without releasing semen. Um, but I am curious what your perspective is on this semen retention kind of theory. Yeah, it's something I'm really passionate about. I've been helping men really, there's a number of health benefits that are available to men, not only health benefit benefits, but like next level pleasure benefits. And um, it's challenging for men because the practice is counterintuitive to their biology. Their biology is set up to go squirt, release, populate the planet. You know, like our survival depends on your sperm. And, you know, if you think about it, a man has 200 to 300,000 sperm per load. That's an incredible amount of life force. They are born with enough sperm to populate the planet as we know it. And I think that first deserve celebration. I think that's really epic. Like, whoa, aren't you special? (laughs) So um, it's not just this yucky stuff. We want to just wipe away. It's actually some incredible nectar and really, really powerful juju. So there's that, right? So that's, and when you think about a generation can be created with that orgasm. But if you were to reverse that orgasm, so instead of it going out, it goes in and up, then that turns into regeneration for him. All that life force energy can then be recirculated into his body, into his tissues, into his organs, into his glands, into his chakras to literally be the fountain of youth for the masculine. And so that's like the potency of which we're talking about when we start considering um, non-ejaculatory orgasms. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some, um, and I do not believe that men who conquer this skill set should then never orgasm again. There are some Taoist schools that would say, never orgasm again. Every time you have an orgasm, you're committing suicide. Like that's just bananas to me. (laughs) It's actually really important that a man does ejaculate. Um, I would, my personal, the belief on this is at least once a month. I don't care what skill set you're at. You should ejaculate once a month because it's important for your prostate gland. Mm-hmm. So you want to be able to clean those pipes and your prostate gland needs to release some of that prosthetic fluid. 
That being said, then comes the the hardest part is learning how to, as we as we gain more control, is also then letting go of some control so that you can start to experience non-ejaculatory orgasms. And that has a those skill sets require um being conscious, right? It's because we really go unconscious. As soon as our arousal hits a certain point, it's really easy to just kind of go off the books. But you want to stay awake. And the reason why staying awake can be so powerful to making pleasure more bigger and better is because when you're that connected with your partner, when you're feeling such a heightened state of arousal that you want to ejaculate, but instead you're going to breathe that energy up and take it up your spine and like give your brain a bath with that arousal and then send that arousal to your partner through your eyes and through your heart and through your breath so that they're absorbing some of that arousal, then you've got a place to put that high energy, to put that desire of, I want to squirt. So then you instead give it to your partner and then you give it to your brain. And if you're on a spiritual path, Shay, give it to God. This one's for you, Jesus. And allow that to just sort of bathe the experience. And and what what has to happen in the learning of that is to know how to take a pause, right? Like your body, in fact, you may be able to pause, but it might take your body another minute to pause. And so when you harness the pause, right, it's like, I so want to let go right now. And I'm going to pause. I'm going to stop all the friction. And this is where like the partner can really come in. So I could say to my partner, because I can feel him revving, right? It's like, and, and what's the symptomology? If you are the partner of a man who wants to explore this is the symptomology of a man's getting close to ejaculating is his whole body gets tight, right? Like his face gets kind of tight, his neck gets tight, his butt will squeeze, his his cock gets harder, and his testicles move up. And so you just kind of go, when you start to sort of notice, is he holding his breath? Because <laughs> they'll either go like this, or they'll go, they'll hold the breath. And so like, you start to like notice, okay, here's the symptoms of he's getting close. And it's in this moment that you can say, hey, babe, 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 open your eyes. Oh my God, you are so big right now. I just want to feel your magnificence for just a second. Just, just hold on, breathe with me, honey. Open your eyes and just breathe with me. Oh my God. Can you feel this too? And, and you're looking into his eyes. And so there's another, a a number of things are happening when we're doing that. Number one is we're capturing their attention. So they're not all penis, but yet we are telling them how magnificent their penis is. And like, Oh, I feel big. Oh, oh. Someone recognizes this. Okay, you have me, my full attention. And then when you're saying like, open your eyes, now you're helping them carry the attention that's at the tip of their penis. And now you're helping them bring it up to their eyes. And you're saying, let me feel you right here. Let's feel this together. Can you feel this moment with me? And now you're slowing down the breath. So you're getting them to breathe. So all of this is helping the energy cool down just a little bit but it's also bringing the energy up. And so this is the loop that we want to learn. We actually want to retrain the nervous system so their nervous system starts to build a habit that my sexual energy goes up, not out. 
And it's through these like moments, it's through these pause moments where we're not only building our intimacy muscles with each other, and we're starting to learn how to commune on an energetic level and starting to pass this high arousal back and forth to each other. But now he can learn how to sustain a peak level of arousal without going into overdrive. And it's in these moments where the energy is starting to create a new loop where it's starting to create a circuit that goes up and then down instead of out, that these bubbles, these effervescent bubbles of orgastic sensation can start to be felt. And so the non-ejaculatory orgasm, what people have to understand is they go looking for a non-ejaculatory orgasm, expecting it to feel like an ejaculatory orgasm. It, it rarely does. There are times when it will, they'll be like, oh my God, did I not, did I come? No, you didn't, but it was that big. But non-ejaculatory orgasms in the beginning are a different type of pleasure. They're a different, a different type of orgasm. So if you go looking for it and expect it to feel like an ejaculation, you're going to be disappointed and you're going to miss the boat. You're going to miss the boat of new pleasure and new experience. And so a lot of this is just really retraining the brain because you have to remember that the brain is the biggest sex organ. It's what's telling the body, hey, something special is happening here. And then if you start to combine that with a little bit of prostate massage or G-spot massage, that's going to further rewire this whole new experience of non-ejaculatory orgasms for men. And all the men I know that have conquered this, I'm going to have some people, some men on my show who can really speak to the male experience of this. I have been, I've watched it thousands of times in my work, but it's, I think it's different coming from a man to share what it feels like to them. But when they have conquered this, none of them go, I think I'll go back to the way it was, the way it was better. <laughs> They're all like, oh my God, like if only everyone knew everyone would do it. Mm -hmm. But again, you have to like reserve that, that biological urge is so strong. We are hardwired for it. So I don't know if that helped answer any of your questions, Saturn. Um, That's great. Yeah. It was wonderful. The other thing that came up while you were talking is just this, like this, the aspect of the feminine in that role and just how in relation, we often know that our partner has been satiated through that physical orgasm. And so as a woman in, in that um, experience, there is like this level of trust or, you know, there's just, it's, there has to be a lot of communication between the partners around, you know, this process, I think. It, um, yeah. so I'm so glad you brought that up. And actually I've created a whole online program called Last 10 Times Longer. And it, I've got a, um, a module for men to learn the practice. And then I have a module for women for um, heterosexual couples, if you're a woman with a male cisgendered partner, to how to support your partner through this, how to actually be in partnership with your partner who is really wanting and has a desire to master this. And a couple of things you should know. One is we as women, and I don't think this is like overtly taught. No one sat me down and said, oh, by the way, you're going to feel really successful when a man ejaculates. No one like laid that down for me. But somehow in our culture, the message is your success when you can make him come. And when it's hard for us to come sometimes, then we really like need that. We need that to reassure us that we're a good lover. So it may be hard for me to come. I might've just faked my orgasm, but if I made you come, I'm still a success. And I need to feel like a success because I need to feel desirable. I need to feel attractive and I need to feel wanted by you. And if I start to feel like that's going away, I'm going to get insecure. 
Am I lovable? Am I desirable? Will you leave me for somebody else? So all of these are subconscious thoughts. So we are very much, some of our self-esteem is very much hooked into, am I success? But then there's the flip side of this where we also can be very resentful, especially if he has a habit of coming too soon. So what I try to tell women is we need to give men their sexual power back. It is their responsibility to be in charge of their own pleasure and how they want to express that pleasure. It is our responsibility. We owe it to our own sexual sovereignty for us to learn what is it that's going to pleasure me. It's my responsibility to have an orgasm. It's not my partner's responsibility to give me an orgasm. And then that leads us down a totally different path of self-discovery when it comes to sexuality and understanding who we are as a sexual being, what our needs are, what our desires are, what our wants are. And so it's my job to go, babe, I'm giving you back your power. I'm no longer going to manipulate your sexual energy so that you come when I want you to, because either I'm bored and I want to end it. It's time for me to go move on to something else. I'm going to get this shit done and over with, or I am having a hard time coming. And so I'm going to make you come so that I can feel better about myself, or I'm going to resent you for coming too soon and never doing it right. So it gets really, really complicated. So when we go, I'm not going to be in charge of this anymore. I'm actually going to show up in true partnership and I'm going to be your, your partner in learning and in discovering and in exploring what all of this gets to feel like in your body and also in my body. And you didn't, you can decide whether or not you ejaculate or not. And then that forces me to actually encounter my feelings about myself. It forces me to encounter how I feel about who I am as a sexual being, of who I am as a good lover or a bad lover or all the judgments and pain that I have about my struggle as a sexual being, about being adequate enough, about being orgasmic enough, about being patient enough, like all those things that are now on my side of the table for me to encounter within myself. And it's my job to like open to that and be vulnerable to that and be real about that and then discover what I want to do about that. And so, I mean, this, when we start to allow ourselves to like be in the discomfort and also in the miracle of, of like the beauty that arises when we go down into the swamp a little bit, then that builds only more connection. It gives us more juicy stuff to talk about with each other. It creates this open-ended question of inquiry between me and my lover to get closer to one another. It's the avoidance of those conversations that continues to create a divide of embarrassment, of discomfort, all these things. So it's sort of like an invitation of like, yeah, it's kind of awkward. It's kind of hard to kind of start talking about this stuff and how we really feel about it because can I really trust my partner to hold it all? You know, and then it comes back down to trust. But here's what I've learned about trust. Trust is a door that opens on our side. And, and oftentimes we project that we don't trust our partner. And when in truth, we don't trust ourselves. And so again, it just comes back to sovereignty. Hmm. <laughs> I know I'm sorry I throw a lot at someone when they give me one question it's like okay here we go here's like <laughs> usually something that takes me two hours to teach in a class I'm gonna give it to you in like five minutes I'm 
wanted to um, talk or like ask a little bit about you know, the other side of, of like, maybe like intentional, um, ejaculation and like the magic that can actually happen on that side. Um, like, um, I mean, some of the things that, that I have, um, researched and, um, taught and kind of played around with is, is that, that like, okay, like, so we're going to funnel that energy that you are intentionally, you know, putting, putting out that, that um and I'm trying to remember if it's if it's if it's Jing that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Yep. Right. And so like the like, okay, like let's let's do something with this. Let's let's draw this up. And so then um being able to click cue in and like feel when that is happening and to breathe that up my body and to like allow that energy to rise and create that cycle um in myself. And so yeah, I guess I just wanted to like hear. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there are six different kinds of chi and one of them is jing chi and that is the sexual chi and uh, that gets developed in the adrenal. So if you guys ever get Dr. Willow on here, she was our Taoist expert over at Sex Reimagine. I'm the Tantra expert and she can really speak beautifully to all the chis because that's definitely her realm of expertise. Uh, but you're right. It's jing chi. And um, so I refer to this, I call this the conscious cum. When we are going to express our sexual energy, no matter what body you have, uh, but let's say for uh, an ejaculation, a whether it's a female ejaculation or a male ejaculation, um, that is a beautiful moment. So a couple of things I want to say about this. Whenever the psyche is having an emotional experience, it is the most opened to be influenced. So like when someone's crying, right? Or when, or an orgasm, the psyche is wide open. And so we can, we can be of great benefit to our loved ones in these moments. So for instance, if my partner is feeling so moved, maybe we're doing a sexual healing session and I'm working on his heart and tears start to arise, you know, and he wants to kind of put him back because he's embarrassed about the tears. Right. And so, and so I can say, no, 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 wait, just take a breath here. What you're feeling is so important to stay with me. And then we give permission that like, no, your tears and your feelings and your tenderness are important. They're not to be suppressed. Don't shove them back down, like bring them up to the surface. This is beautiful. You're beautiful when your tears come. Like, I love this tenderness inside of you. Like that permission, right? Which goes against everything he had to go through to come of age, which was boys don't cry, you know, and don't be a sissy and be strong. Your mother needs you, you know, all these things. It's like, yeah, that stuff gets suppressed. And so here's a moment where I think one of the last initiations for men emotionally is actually to reclaim those emotions, to reclaim access and um, connection to those tears. And so we have the power to dramatically influence how they feel about that in their belief system and in their self-esteem by giving approval in those moments of great vulnerability and tenderness. So the same thing is possible when we are in laughter, when we are in orgasm, because orgasm is an emotional experience. It's also a mystical experience. And so when we give intention to this 300,000 sperm, I mean, it's like we can, that has so much power, so much energy. And so uh, it's a beautiful thing too, before you start to um, 
make love is to go, what's our intention? What is it that we want to create? What is it that we need more in our life? And you can either say something that would be help you in your sainthood, like more patience (laughs) or like time management um, or compassion, or we can say something of a secular nature, like uh, a new promotion, um, a a new car with all of these beautiful things. Uh, we We can sort of manifest whatever it is that's in the moment really right and true. And then it's in those moments of that orgasm or that ejaculation where I can say, something really powerful, like new car, new car, new car. Yeah, baby, go, go, go. Or, um, or maybe I know that there's something inside of them. Like maybe they don't really know how beautiful they are, you know? And so in that moment, I think, I think especially this is important for a lot of women is, you know, in the moment of our expression of an orgasm to have your lover go, you are so beautiful. You are so powerful. You are so powerful. You are so gorgeous. That's going to land in our psyche in a much more efficacious way than if someone were to tell us over dinner, you're so beautiful. I mean, do both. Definitely do both. Mm-hmm. But um, it's there's something about having that psyche wide open that we can begin to change our actual belief system about it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that I- comes back to the conscious come. Can I ask a, a quick, quick yeah. question? About that? Um, have they done? Um, I'm I'm, I'm going to assume that they've probably done some kind of study on this about like what brain waves are happening at that time. Um, so they've done a lot of um, studies of the brain during orgasm. One of the things that's really interesting in the study that came out around 2009 is they they studied what was happening in spiritual experiences. So they scanned the brains of like monks in meditation and priests in prayer and shamans in, you know, re- doing some sort of rites and in, in, in these sort of states of mystical experiences. And then they also studied the brain of what's happening to the brain in orgasm. And in the study that they did of like sort of the mystical prayerful brain, um, there was one spot that kept on lighting up and lighting up and they started to call that the God spot. And what was interesting is the same spot in the brain was lighting up when in orgasm. It was the same. It was that God spot. And isn't it interesting that the most uttered phrase in sex is, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think that makes so much sense that those two have a deep parallel. I mean, aside from, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck. It's, oh God, oh God, oh God. Um, <laughs> can I say fuck on the show? I'm assuming. Yeah, I can. yeah, yeah. You said cock. So. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. Is, is, I'm, here to, I'm here to break the rules. Yeah, exactly. Is that the pineal gland? And and did I? No, actually, my understanding is it's actually in the right temporal um, side of the brain. And but don't quote me on that. I'm, yeah. I can't. I'm not really sure. And actually, I think since then there have been other studies that light up different parts of the brain. Certainly, there's different nerve plexuses that light up depending on the type of orgasm. Like they weren't, they weren't scanning people in orgasm during anal sex, which is a different type of nerve pathway that goes up to the brain as opposed to let's say vaginal sex. So, or like, what's the difference between clitoral orgasm and vaginal orgasm and how, what areas light up the brain with those different types of nerve plexuses. Um, And then you also have like the vagus nerve that carries orgasm from the front of the body. The only orgasm that goes up the front of the body versus the spine. And and so all of these have different, um, I think, consequences to what is happening with the brain. And it's been a while since I've really delved into any of that type of research. I'm sure it's, it's been happening though, because I 
I think that a lot of brain research has been really hot in the last 10 years. And Obama gave, I think, a billion dollars to brain research when he during his administration. So I'm sure a billion dollars, though, at this point really runs out fast. <laughs> That's what I know. That's all I got. Hey, everyone. It's Saturn. And I am so excited to invite you to join the Living Remembrance Retreat that I'm hosting April 21st through the 25th. Living Remembrance is a four-night, five-day immersion I've created for families with children under the age of six based on the teachings shared in Michelin Duclef's book, Hunt, Gather, Parent, What Ancient Cultures Can Teach Us About Raising Happy, Helpful Children. Nestled in the beautiful jungle of Nayarit, Mexico, along the Pacific Ocean, we will come together to remember what it feels like to live in tune with the laws of nature, to play as part of a community, and to hear the calling of our own hearts. Through free expression and felt safety, your children will see themselves as a part of the whole. Parents will have time to connect with one another, practice mindfulness, and loosen the reins that the pressures of society have placed on us. Do you feel the call? Do you know that there are other parents out there just like you who believe there is a better way? This is your invitation to step more fully into the life you want for your family and to reclaim the harmony and power of parenthood. To learn more, go to rebirthcare.com forward slash living remembrance. Rebirth is spelt R-E-B. E-A-R-T-H, rebirthcare.com forward slash living remembrance. See you in the jungle. I'm really curious your uh, perspective on the masculine and feminine right now and what we're working through. Yeah, you know, I think... um, you know, all this stuff before the whole gender stuff, I think can still holds true. And I think post sort of like this gender, this new gender fluidity in our culture, now things have just expanded, which I think is really exciting. Mm -hmm. I'm really uh, loving playing with, you know, what do we want to do about language? I still have a fondness towards masculine and feminine because that was like, that's what I was raised on, you know? So there is always going to be like a comfort and a curiosity. I'm also a cisgendered woman. So that language makes sense to me in my nervous system. However, I also have a deep desire to be inclusive of other people and, and want them to feel like they're not left out of the conversation. So for me, it's never an either or, it's always an and. That's what I'm really discovering is true for me right now. And I think especially since cancel culture is starting to like, we're starting to see the toxicity of that. I think we are, I think a lot of people are of a desire to move towards the and instead of the either or. And, and so that's what I'm noticing is true in, in what's evolving inside of me. And so it's been fun for me to explore the masculine and feminine and, and shift up the language. So it's more about the two ends of the battery. It's more about a negative charge and a positive charge. And I don't mean that by saying, oh, negative or, oh, positive. It's about the battery. It's about what is sending energy and what is magnetic energy. And so back in the day, we would describe as magnetic energy as being the feminine and active energy as being the masculine. And so now just sort of playing with sort of like this sending and receiving of masculine feminine energy or of that positive negative energetic charge, then we can start to see how energy streams in the body. And what's also interesting in my studies with energy is to take a look at, okay, here is a 
And, and I'm going to, I'm going to actually talk about this from a, let's take it out of the bedroom and make it like a business relationship. Like I work with a lot of women in my work. So it's usually, you know, two women who are facilitating a program. Although for 20 years, I worked with a man as a facilitator. So energetically, the energy is doing the same thing, but it has a different route. So for instance, when I always, the, the positive charge quote unquote, the masculine charge is what's bringing something into form, right? It's the delivery. It is the practice. It is the form of the teaching, but you can't have the form of the teaching without the mystery behind it, without access to the everything. And, and so I know, so this is going to be, this is a little more metaphysical people. So for those of you who are like, what the fuck is she talking about? This is, this is where we geek out on energy. And I know that not everyone's going to be into that, but just like, Hang, hang in, hang in there with me. So if we have like this, the way that Charles and I would teach is oftentimes he was holding the active pole. A lot of the content was him that he put into form. Well, he's always had feminine muses. He's always had a muse that helped him resource the everything or the mystery. So for years, I was part of that magnetic pole that could pull in the magic and then he could resource the magic. And so that has a particular shape in terms of how the energy flows between us, right? And that has a lot to do with where are the masculine and feminine or positive negative charges within the body. So for instance, if you think about a man's, a male identified body, his genitals is going to be the positive pull. Why? Well, just think like the, the lingam, the cock is, is outside in nature. It gets engorged. Its job is to penetrate. It is active in the world. It is passionate in the world, right? And it actually create, helps create form. It sends the form out into the world. If you think about semen. Now, if you think about a female identified body, you have the yoni, you have the vulva, you have the vagina that is magnetic in nature, that draws in, it takes in, it is attractive. Everybody wants in there, you know? <laughs> so here we have like, right. So, so if you think about it, like those, those can fit really well together when they're in harmony, they're locks for each other's keys and keys for each other's locks. Now, if you look at a female identified body and you could think about the chest, the breasts, the heart, right? Its job is to nurture, literally nurture the world. We feed, this is our masculine pull or the positive charge. You know, we always talk about women as like, oh, they're so feeling, right? They're, they send all this stuff out there. They just want a place for their love to be received. It's like we send. So our breasts are the physical manifestation of the masculine, creating form in the world, sending out this vibration of let's connect. We're the Velcro of the universe. And then you have, let's say a male identified body and his heart is the feminine. It is that, it's that negative charge. It is magnetic. It is attractive. We want in, but what happens when we're triggered? When we're triggered, everyone is going to protect their feminine pole. Everyone's going to protect the magnetic charge because it's the receiving station. It is the most susceptible to be wounded, to be hurt. Mm -hmm. And so a man who identifies as a man's body is going to protect his heart. It's going to protect that feminine pole, that vulnerable pole. A woman's going to protect her pussy. 
You know, it's like, we're going to protect our pelvis. And so he, in some cases, he may be okay having sex when he's pissed, right? But that doesn't mean he's going to open his heart during that sex. And a lot of women are just going to go, nope, (laughs) doors closed. We are not having sex, honey. Not until you open that heart. And so this is how we do war with each other. It's, It's like, we know how men can overpower the feminine through taking of the feminine pole, right? Like we are very aware of rape culture and all of its permutations. What we are less aware of is how women take from the masculine with our own um, entitlement. I'm entitled to his heart. He married me. I'm entitled to his heart. I gave birth to him. I'm entitled to his heart. And so what women don't realize is how much unconscious wounding they do through their own act of entitlement towards a man's or a boy's feminine pole. And so we can be completely unconscious. And then we wonder as we're coming of age, we're like, where are all the open-hearted men? Where are all the open-hearted men? I just want an open-hearted man. Why isn't his heart open? I can't find them anywhere. And it's like, well, are you the type of woman who's safe for a man's heart to be opened around? And so that's a conversation that doesn't get to be explored very often. And I realize that a lot of this is also very cisgendered um, languaging. And there's a way that this can be different because the same thing is often true. It's just the energy goes different in same-sex relationships. Instead of it being a loop, right, from heart to genitals up to heart to genitals where it's a circle, In same-sex relationships, it's actually an infinity sign. It comes from the heart. It crosses down through the power center, goes up to the genitals, crosses through the power center, and then back up to the heart. And if I was in, if I could show you this visually, like in a classroom, it would all start to click. So I don't, hopefully it's clicking on some level um, from an audio standpoint, but it's super, super fascinating when you look at it from the perspective of the healing arts. And then from a sexual standpoint, just imagine us connecting to that with this open heartedness, with this desire to be in circuitry and in harmony with each other, where I am purposely sending that current of energy from my heart and it is being received by my partner's heart. And then they are sending it out their pelvis and I am actively receiving it through my pelvis and we are alternating our breathing. So when they're sending out on an exhale, I am breathing in on an inhale. And when I am sending out on an exhale, they are breathing in on an inhale. And this is where like, this is where true making love starts to happen. But again, it's also when we have those places close to each other, when I have closed my pelvis to you, when they have closed their heart to me, then this is where we do war. And this has significance, not only from like a physical making love standpoint, but also has significance just from an emotional standpoint, you know, where no one is actively trying to penetrate my pussy, but if my pelvis is closed and they're trying to send their love to me, their love is being sent from their pelvis. And so I'm saying, no, you can't have a place to rest here because I'm not going to open my pelvis to you. And I know how painful that feels when their heart is close to me and they're not allowing my heart to have a soft place to rest. And so this is where like, you know, our guardedness all arises. And you know, I, I, I know that kind of, I went on a segue there from your question regarding like the masculine and feminine and, and kind of using. That's exactly where I wanted you to go. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's a big, it's a big topic. Right. And, and I think there's even ways, one of the 
places of masculine and feminine teachings that I find really juicy right now is how to play with that non-verbally with someone. Because my experience is that the law of masculine feminine or negative and positive energy is going to always balance itself. It's just, it's the law of how it works. So if I am in super powerful masculine space, um, it has a desire to want to out-masculine everybody else. Mm-hmm. And and therefore everything else in the room has to try to balance that. So it's going to go deeper into the feminine. Now, if if there's someone in the room who has a really strong masculine and and usually a um a uh a male um identified body will out masculine my masculine being a female identified body but I have a really strong masculine essence. So they got to be real good <laughs> because my masculine can really, you know, out bully somebody else's. And so, and so if I'm aware of my well-developed masculine, which I love and prize and honor and really respect inside of myself, then I can make a conscious choice to go, Oh wait, I remember it feels really good to be in my feminine. Let me just drop in. And I, and we don't have to have the conversation about it because as soon as I say, you know, I could really use a little more masculine energy right now. Cause I'm feeling kind of stuck in mine. Would you just man up already? That never brings somebody up into their masculine. <laughs> it's just going to drive them into their feminine. So words actually really get in our way mm-hmm. when we're trying to do this work in partnership. Mm-hmm. So if we can have some understanding on what it means to somatically drop into either masculine or feminine, then we can come into greater harmony. But again, that takes like, that's a personal choice to build that personal skill and to learn those teachings so that you can have mastery. And when you have that, you can support all these different bodies and feeling delicious and feeling empowered and feeling desirable and feeling yummy when you know that you can play with those realms within yourself, then they are like a dial that you can move up and down in any circumstance to empower someone else's body. And that's really exciting. It's really fun to play with. Yeah. Mm. Dropping, <laughs> dropping in somatically, what, um, what comes up for me, and this is, uh, this is kind of come up a couple of times in the conversation, just talking about co- coming into your body um, just the recognition that that there are a number of people that that have it, that sexual experience means that they actually leave their body. Mm-hmm. Um, that that that's the experience that they have is that they disconnect from from their body instead. Um, yeah, and so I guess I just wanted to hear what what your thoughts are about like how how someone might find their way back or like Ooh, what's I, going on there. I think I watched one of your free videos on this. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. I think like first and foremost, like I celebrate our body's ability to disassociate because thank God, thank God our body has that genius wired into it there. We have been saved uh, so much suffering with our body's genius ability to just kind of float out 
and take a break and not have to completely be there for all the pain that's happening. So I really think first we have to do is celebrate disassociation and, and really appreciate our body's wisdom for it and to give it approval and to make it okay. Because I think there's a lot of shame that people feel uh, by the fact that they have a hard time staying in their body. So if they can really first go, no, your body's right on time. It is doing what it is wired to do. And there is no shame in that. And we need to celebrate it first and foremost. And then there comes a, and now here's the invitation. You're safe now. What would it be like to have more experiences in your body if we could minimize the fear and the risk that something will be painful? Because when we disassociate, it's often our body's nervous system, you know, knowing how to do something from the past. And that part that is holding the fear of something bad's going to happen if I'm embodied for this. It doesn't realize, well, did you know that I'm 25? Did you know that I'm here consensually? Did you know that I would really like to be here for this pleasure? Do you know that this is actually an experience where we're going to encounter pleasure? So we have these parts that get established at these young ages where we often learn to dissociate that don't even know we're all grown up. You can trust us. <laughs> this is a new body. It's trustworthy. It's knowing what it's doing. It wants to be here. So sometimes we have to sit with the part that is afraid to be present and go, here's where we're at now. I just want to catch you up because it's still holding young parts for us. So that's often um, can be a tremendous breakthrough in our ability to stay. Mm-hmm. The other thing is just to go, okay, we're going to be building our, our capacity to stay. And that is going to have growth over time. It's not just going to happen in one session. So the first thing to do is just to start to build awareness of, oh, look, I floated away. And our partner um, um, oftentimes can track this faster than we can track it. So it can really be helpful for the partner to go, hey, honey, where are you? Hey, babe, calling you back. You okay? You want to take a pause? Just want to check in. Where are you? Where do, where do you feel like? Where are you hanging out right now? Are you up there? Are you over there? Are you down there? You know, and you can help them start to orient. Oh, where did I go? For me, I would always float out of the room and be on a tree, usually outside on the window. <clears throat> so it was really helpful for me. Oh, I'm over in the tree. I love the tree. Oh, the tree always gives me comfort. Okay, now I'm going to call myself off of the tree and in back. And, and, and then I could start to do it in a, in a moment, in a moments, in a second's time, because I started to trust the environment that I was in. When I'm working with people who have a lot of disassociative um, uh, impulses, what I'll do is I'll, I imagine that I put a net around them. So usually I see them floating up and I'll say, okay, so how high are we? I kind of feel you about right there. You're kind of hanging onto the ceiling. What about you? What, what's a match for you? And, and we're usually somewhere on the same page. And I said, okay, I'm just going to float a net right there. We're just going to put a net over you and you can stay up there. You don't have to come in. You can stay right where you are. And we really want you to feel safe and comfortable. And when you're ready, we're going to lower the net just by an inch or two. And you're just going to gently float in. And so what this is doing is it's bringing them into the present moment. By this time, they're actually more in their body than they realize. It's just the awareness of going, oh, that's where I'm at. 
And now I'm back home because now they're really like, we're paying attention and we're talking and we're right there, which is what's key to the whole process. Because for a lot of people, they're just not present to where they're at when they're in disassociation. So the minute they get present, the minute they're in the moment, they're like 75% in their body by that point. And now it's just the exercise of going here, you get to hold on to the net and now you're in control of how quickly or how slowly you bring the net down so that you're all the way in. And the reason why we use the net is because I don't want you to go so far out that you fragment. Nothing bad will happen when you fragment. It just takes longer to come back together. So what we're doing is we're putting the net around you so you don't have to worry about fragmenting. And now you're in control of coming all the way in. And I'm so proud of you. You're doing such a good job and you're going to conquer this because your body is miraculous. And yes, it feels pain, but baby, it feels pleasure. And we can't do much about the pain. It's we, it's pretty much guaranteed. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, have you guys seen that? I thought it was really great. Um, what's it, I think it's called uh, Stuts. Yeah, it's a, on Netflix. Yeah. And I and I love those three things. He goes, these are the three things that are guaranteed in life: uncertainty, pain, and work. And it's just true. It's just true. Yeah. So if we can make peace with that, then we are we're really increasing our life satisfaction scores. But we could just accept <laughs> that this is a part of life. And so that's also like next when it comes to disassociation, it's really inviting the person who's struggling with disassociation to embrace and to make peace with uncertainty and discomfort. And then we can then the conversation starts to be about okay, what does it mean to be resilient? And why is resiliency important? And here are the things that can help. Here are the tools that can help build that resilience. And then you can be more fearless. Mm-hmm. I love the tool I'm thinking of specifically of the creating a sound that mm-hmm. um, reflects the feeling you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. Magic. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that's where I feel like um, that's where we move the actual box. So for me, it's, it's the sound that actually alleviates the blocks that have been built in the body. So for instance, if I work with a lot of women who um, feel a lot of pain in the, inside their vagina, in their vulva, in their yoni, you know, they've got these little pockets of knots. I call them hot spots. Sometimes I call them gnarly bits. And it's, it's our, our impulse, which is totally natural. If we feel something uncomfortable, we want to back away from it. We don't want to go towards it. That makes sense. I mean, that's just instinct. So the idea is, okay, what if we didn't back away? What if we stayed right there? What if we stayed right where the discomfort is? But we're not going to put so much pressure. We're not going to we're not going to bug the owie. We're not going to poke at the owie. We're going to stay with the owie. And now we're just going to make we're going to breathe as if we could lift the owie up out of our body with our breath. But it's really the sound on the exhale that breaks up the the owie that takes that contraction and starts to soften it so that it can be lifted up and out of the breath through that pitch and frequency of sound because sound has pitch and frequency. That is a measurable reality. And we can use that when we name the sensation of the block in the body, when we give that a voice, and sometimes we don't know what the voice is. We just make it up, any vowel, hard or soft until we find the right pitch. That's it. That's it. That's it. And then you use that to help alleviate and take the blocks out. And what's so beautiful, as I'm sure you know, is to then feel the space that just got opened up 
by having the bravery to give it a voice because there's so much significance to that voice. Not only does the pitch and frequency actually alleviate the body from that said pain, but now you have a feeling of liberation. Now you have like this emotional experience of being freed, of feeling the freedom. And because our throat, like we've all been told to hush up and not speak up. And and our voices have been disempowered in so many ways, especially when it comes to speaking for our sexuality. And we feel so much embarrassment about our sexual voice. So when that starts to be liberated because we've taken the bold step in making a fucking sound, like the significance of giving our body a voice is so huge. And And I think we get really stuck in telling the story of our body when really we need to allow the body to just make the sound of what it is feeling. So I think, I think one is more powerful than the other, Mm. even though I really love the story. Mm. (laughs) I find them fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. You have given us so much, Leah, Mm. like always. You are just a spark. I love it. <laughs> and um, in closing, we would like to know what you're celebrating. Hmm. What am I celebrating? Well, I'm celebrating right now, currently in my life, I'm celebrating hard work, really um, getting to the finish line on things that I've, I've wanted to get to the finish line. And I finally have created the team and the environment and the support to like allow that to happen for myself, like really figuring out what's missing that stops me from getting to the finish line and what needs to be added that will really allow me to have more experiences of that. And so I'm just, I'm noticing by having paid attention to like what really works, what I need to surround myself with is allowing me to get to so many finish lines that now I'm up leveling on the output. Like things are just becoming more professional, more streamlined, better packaged, well-branded. Like all these things are really coming together that have been a dream. And the only thing that was holding me back is just not knowing how to resource what was under-resourced inside of me. So having that come together, I'm like really celebrating, just discovering A, what those things even were, and then B, implementing them, and then C, seeing the fruits of the labor. So I'm really celebrating, feeling like there's some achievement going on. It feels really good. That's beautiful. Can I ask you like how you got there? Was that on your or did you um, have a coach? Well, you know, it's so interesting. Having worked for Source Tantra for so long, I always had my other business. And so I didn't realize that being a part of a team at Source Tantra was always fuel that I was applying to what I needed to create in my own private practice when it was just me. I didn't know that there was an actual loop there that I was feeding from for the other until right? Like COVID happened. I started doing less and less work with Source Tantra leading up to COVID. I was really trying to like wrestle and grow this other side of my business, but it was just me. And then like this whole thing during COVID, I'm watching all my contemporaries, like they're busting out with these new online things. And I'm just like, I can't do any of it. All I can do is like make necklaces and paint rocks. That's all I got. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) (laughs) which was totally lovely. I just wasn't making any money. Um, And so then 
you know, I'm wrestling as, as COVID starts to wind down and it's time to make an income again and, and get things rocking and rolling, as my mother would say. And I, I just, I felt like I was lost in the wind. It was like everything I tried, I would kind of try it, but it wouldn't go the distance in terms of my vision. And then Willow and I started to do a couple projects and that was fun and that was great. And then I was like, okay, well, we could try this podcast thing. All right, let's do that. And then from there, we just started to start building more and more and doing more online stuff in um, with Sex Reimagined. And now I've got it. And now I'm working, I've hired uh, the same VAs that she has. So now we're like, we're kind of really bundling things together. And I'm noticing when in, in these team meetings, like how much energy I'm getting from it, how much excitement, how much more the vision is broadening. And then I'm noticing everyone's strengths and also like our weaknesses. So just noticing that there are strengths that Willa has, like sh- the girl can write the emails. I hate emails too. Like emails are, 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 they're just not my jam on any level. This girl can bust out emails like no one I've ever imagined. Like she's just got a skill for it. And I can be a perfectionist to the point that things don't get done because I get lost in the details where she can hold the big vision. And so what, what's turned into this thing that I've always complained about myself is like, oh, this perfectionist. And and now it's actually, no, that's actually a really important part of our work together because I'm quality control. I'm the one that takes a overviews the whole work and go, okay, this needs to be tightened. That's almost there. We need to do this. And now like this skill that I've sort of felt like was the bane of my existence of being caught in the weeds is now actually has a role. It's being funneled into something that the business really, really needs. So no, I'm not in control of the emails. <laughs> But I am making sure that the design is where the design needs to be and that there are all sorts of things that need my attention in order for the work to get done. And there are things that need her attention. That, And so we're really, everyone is playing off of each other's strengths. And, um, and, and there's less bad feelings around the parts that you're not strong in because someone's got your back. You don't actually have to be worried about that part because it's not your job. So I think like my big aha was realizing that I always need to be working in collaboration with others. If I want my work to be impactful, it has to come with a group of people who are on the same mission. Mm, That's how we operate. And And I need to be my own boss. Like Willow and I cannot be each other's bosses. We also know that. Like we, we, that's not going to work. So all these little details are really fun to figure out. Yeah, totally. Totally. Synergy, the synergy when you, when that happens, when you get with people. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't it interesting that like some people are going to thrive on that and some people aren't. And I, and I actually love that there's so much diversity in that way, that there are some things that I actually need to do by myself within the company. Like I handle a lot of the editing and, um, and I, and I, we have a editor who plays a certain role, but like my little control freak just needs to have some control over some of the editing before I can pass it on to someone else. And, and everyone's okay with that. Like that actually works out. Maybe someday I'll, I'll relax that control, but right now it's mine to enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. I know we'll have you back. Yes. Um, <laughs> Oh, if that's, if that works for you, we would love to have you teach us more. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and get you back to Craftsbury. We'll work on that too. Yeah. Yeah. Let's work on that. <laughs> <laughs> thank uh, you ladies. Thank you, Dia.
Yeah. Good luck with the podcast and um, let's stay in touch. Yeah. Yeah. And um, where can we find you? Oh yeah. Where can our listeners um, Yes. You can find me at moreloveworks.com. And if you click on the free tab, you can uh, sign up to get a free tutorial on how to never miss another big orgasm again, because there is something that we do that short circuits our ability to go through that orgasmic door, especially for women. So um, that's my free gift to the audience. If you want to check that out. And then you can also find me at um, sexreimagine.com. And we've got another free gift there that are three tips to hot spiritual sex, where Willow and I break down some um, spiritual ideas for you to bring into your sex life. And again, that's a video tutorial. Awesome. Yeah. And of course the podcast is called the Sex Reimagine Podcast and you can listen to it wherever uh, podcasts are streaming. And what we do is we have uh, sex experts that come on. We in, we interview um, industry leaders, authors, researchers, uh, civilians, you name it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's always an episode each month with just me and Willow breaking, breaking things down. Yeah. So helpful. Love it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Love, love, love. Thank you for listening to the Teach Me Your Ways podcast with Eleanor, Jesse, and Saturn. This is a labor of love. Wow. What a privilege it is to have you all here on this journey with us, listening and taking your time to join us on this journey we are on. Um, We get to hear fabulous stories from amazing people and your participation, your um, commitment to being here and taking the time out of your day to listen means the world to us. Mm, Yeah. And we would so appreciate if you would take the time to rate us, to give us some stars on Spotify or leave a comment or follow and subscribe to share this podcast with loved ones because we all know with every single time this podcast is shared it reaches a few more people and that means the world to us and we just want to thank you again for your time for your feedback for your inspiration and for sitting in circle with us this podcast is a living practice and we are so grateful to have you on this vibe with us many blessings Ooh.